Welcome to the Experience ANU podcast on iTunes. The ANU campus is always alive with plenty to see, hear and do. If you're interested in finding out more about events at ANU, then visit us at anu.edu.au forward slash events or follow us on Twitter at ANU underscore events. We update the ANU podcast regularly, so make sure you subscribe to never miss a talk. Whenever I would get a call for someone looking for an expert on uh, domestic or international terrorism or cybersecurity, my first thought would always be, um, is it too early to, to call Clive? <laughs> but he was always very gracious answering my very early morning calls. So um, after leaving the army in 1981, Professor Clive Williams uh, pursued a civilian career in uh, Australian defence intelligence. He was a Chev Ending scholar, Chevening scholar at the War Studies Department in King's College in London in 1987. He has worked and le lectured internationally on terrorism-related issues since 1980 and started running terrorism courses at ANU in 1996. Uh, his last defence appointment was Security Director of Security Intelligence with responsibility for running high-level security investigations. He left defence in 20, uh, 2002 and has since run terrorism and national security related uh, courses. He's been a visiting professor at the ANU College of Law Centre for Military and Security since January 2012 and uh, has given lots of fantastic events that I've had a great deal of pleasure working on. So please welcome Professor Clive Williams. Uh, thanks for coming along this evening. I know it's sort of always hard in Canberra to, uh, to get out in the evening. Uh, it's nicer to go home and put your feet up and watch the telly, but uh, anyway, thank you for coming. Um, what I'm going to talk about tonight, obviously, is the, uh, the cyber security issues that are posed by Generations Y and Z. I hope you can hear me all right at the back, can you? Yeah. Um, what I'm going to talk about in uh, scope is uh, I'm going to talk about the generations uh, 1946 to 2025, um, about generations Y and Z, of which obviously quite a few of you are members, uh, some of the security issues related to those generations. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, terrorism cyber skill sets, uh, what generations Y and Z bring to extremism. Uh, talk about some of the law enforcement issues, and then I'll make some conclusions. So what shapes a generation? Well, I, I, basically, I, I had to do this uh, uh, by thinking about it because uh, I couldn't really find much about this whole topic. So, um, But it seemed to me that thinking about my own upbringing and my children and so on, that home environment and parents is obviously important. Um, access to learning and the attitude of your educators. I mean, most people remember somebody in particular as a teacher that influenced them when they were at school or university. Uh, the social environment and social attitudes at that time. You know, if you lived through the swinging 60s, that probably influenced you. And, uh, um, you know, when David Bowie was around and had, you know, an influence on people and, uh, and behavioural norms were quite different. 
um, media reporting, the nature of that, and what media you listen to. Um, children's TV, I think that has an influence on people, particularly when things like Sesame Street came along and perhaps inculcated American values more into the community than had been the case before. Um, the national situation, whether you live through a, an austere period or like after the Second World War or um, you've been through a period of bounty perhaps uh, with generous parents. Um, so all of those things um, can affect, I think, your outlook on life and your, uh, your situation. And lastly, of course, the access to information, which has changed hugely over the last 50 years and particularly since about 1990 when essentially the public service introduced uh, computing. We had computers before in some organisations but um, they had specific specialist tasks and they weren't just general purpose for the desk analyst. Um, I went to America in 1990 to become the defence intelligence attaché and I remember that the deputy director of DIO at that stage was saying that one computer between three analysts should be quite enough. And when I came back three, late, three years later, uh, every analyst had between two and three computers because of the, uh, at that stage anyway, different networks they were on. <coughs> anyway, looking at the generations, uh, baby boomers, uh, generally speaking, born 1946 to 1960 age 56 to 70 this year. Uh, Generation X, born 1960 to 1980, so aged 36 to 56. Generation Y, born 1980 uh, to 1995, now aged between 21 and 36. Uh, and Generation Z or Z, born 1995 to 2010, and aged 6 to 21. And coming along behind all of that is the Generation Alpha, who are the ones that are under age six at the moment, or six and below, rather. So, of course, the generational thing is, is going to differ in different places. Like, you know, there might be, um, you might find those years slightly different in different places. Um, but I've gone for sort of what I thought was um, the most, the median point, basically, I guess. Uh, and a generation normally is 15 to 25 years, depending. But uh, there you can see you've got a baby boomer, uh, the lady on the right, a Generation Xer, a Generation Y, and an Alpha. I haven't got a, a Z in there. But if you look at the, um, the progression of the, uh, of the internet, if you start on the top left and work your way around clockwise, it shows you when different technologies came in, like the early internet was around in the 70s, but it was very much an experimental system at that stage, didn't go very many places. Uh, the World Wide Web came in uh, basically 1990 onwards. Uh, and then you've got sort of different periods where things like eBay came along. PayPal was up there quite early, as you might expect, um, because it's come from the source of capitalism. Uh, then Google and then the dot-com bus, which of course set a lot of inflated uh, price companies to the wall. Um, iPod came along in 2001 and then variously Flickr, YouTube, LinkedIn, MySpace, Facebook and the iPhone in 2007. Uh, and of course, you know, people's attitude is 
depends very much on when they were born and, uh, uh, and uh, what they've seen in their lifetime. Anyway, looking at generations uh, Y and Z, <coughs> uh, a group of Gen Y. And another term for Gen Y is the millennials. Um, and of course, as I said, they're between 21 and 36. One in three of them uh, is a university graduate. Uh, they were the first generation to grow up with computers in their homes. In, if you go back to Generation X, only one in four is a university graduate. So we've seen a sort of a, a change in the educational levels. Um, in 1998, according to the Australian Bureau of Stats, only 16% of Australian households were connected to the internet, but that had changed by 2011. Uh, when the proportion had risen to 79%, of which most of them were using broadband, uh, which was a non-existent category pre-2000. Of course, we still lag quite a long way behind in terms of internet speed when you compare us with, say, South Korea, United States, Singapore, and so on. But we're getting there, hopefully. Um, anyway, while baby boomers and Generation X use the internet mainly for research, emails, and finding bargains on places like uh, eBay. Generation Y use it to connect with others, often in groups, uh, as in chat groups and in interactive games. Now, they also use social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Skype to create a sense of belonging, make acquaintances, and remain connected with friends. <coughs> So there you've got a, a Gen Y. I'll just let you read the bits around the, the edge there. One of the interesting things is that they're regarded as hardworking. I suppose because a work day is no longer sort of, you know, 8.30. I think the public service used to be 8.30 till 10 to 5. Nowadays, of course, uh, you're pretty much connected all the time, aren't you? So people can harass you on the weekends and wherever because they know how to get to you wherever you are. Uh, so people are used to working elongated uh, days. And I suppose the trade-off for that is that people do some of their home stuff at work if they can get away with it. <coughs> anyway, looking at Generation Z, um, they've been connected since birth in a, a way that um, Generation Y wasn't. Um, they're sometimes referred to as the iGen or post-millennials. And they're the generation of people born after the millennials, obviously, um, generally 6 to 21. Um, and uh, they're the first humans in history to be born into a truly digital world with use of the internet and mobile electronic devices to communicate from an early age. As I said uh, with the others, um, that there's been an increase in the level of university uh, um, graduation. With the Generation Z people, it's one in two uh, is expected to be a university graduate. Um, and I think that's because of an increased focus on formal education. People now think almost of, a, of going on naturally to university, whereas, you know, uh, back in the days of Generation X, it was a rarer thing to go to university and a rarer thing to have a master's degree, for example. But um, that has changed. Now um, employers expect you to have university and, uh, and master's 
degrees and so on. But um, I think because of the amount of time that people now have to spend on screens and digital devices, um, that they largely live indoors and uh, their parents place priority on them doing their homework and so on. And uh, so that kind of uh, uh, interaction with computers is becoming more the norm than being out and about and sort of uh, playing sport and so on. So sedentary lifestyles are having an impact on Australia and Generation Z. Um, it's been projected that when all Generation Z have reached adulthood, 77.9 of them of the males and 61.2% of the females will be overweight or obese. Um, as you know, of course, the population generally is becoming chubbier, um, and it, it, much more so, of course, in the United States. I went to an old theatre that was being refurbished in the US, and uh, they were trying to get all the fittings that they had previously back again, but the one thing that they couldn't use was the seats, because they said the, the seat widths now for the average American was twice what it was when the theatre was built in 1880. So, uh, and uh, sadly, I think we're sort of heading in the same direction. Um, Anyway, we've got, a, a, of course, a, a generation there that are becoming increasingly savvy, used to quick speeds on the internet, working quickly themselves, and being able to find out any information they want very readily, either through the iPhone or through uh, notebooks or whatever. Um, but it's said that because Generation Z grew up through the 9-11 um, and the global financial crisis, that that gave them a feeling of insecurity, that they're not hugely confident about the international scene. Now, you might sort of think that's wrong. This is based more upon UK and US data than Australian because there's not the comparable data collected here. Um, the other thing, though, is that often Gen Z are very much influenced by Y, which I think probably is a normal thing with a generational anyway because it's like your older brother and older sister and so on, you know, it will inevitably be an influence upon you. But Gen Z uh, still use Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, but many are also using apps like Snapchat, uh, Secret, Whisper, um, where their messages, often pictures or short videos, appear briefly in recipients' inboxes before spontaneously self-destructing. This, of course, means that it's much more of a security intelligence cha challenge if you're trying to uh, get to the data because, uh, you know, it might well have disappeared on you. Anyway, according to uh, researcher Michael McQueen, he said that Generation Z has these characteristics. They're tech savvy. They've become prematurely mature. Um, they're pampered by their parents. Uh, you, some of you might not agree with that. Uh, they're empowered. Uh, they're a bit risk-averse, and uh, they've, they've been protected more so than previous generations. And, you know, including, of course, being dropped off to school in, uh, and that sort of thing, whereas, you know, one time people walked to school or bicycled to school and so on. Anyway, looking at some of the security issues with Gen Y and security, um, Larry Poneman, who runs a, um, the Poneman Institute, he said that they're more likely to be uh, privacy complacent and privacy uh, uh, and uh, they're not, they don't so much care about keeping their data private and uh, 
They may be worried about uh, their data, but they actually don't do an awful lot to protect it. Um, so, you know, maybe using umpteen times the same password and just adding a number on the end, things like that. Anyway, security firm, ES firm ESET also found the youth of today aren't particularly interested in security. Um, they said almost a third of Gen Y professionals either didn't know or didn't believe their company had an IT security policy, which is a bad reflection on the security officer, I guess, security manager. But um, half of the respondents to a survey, which again, of course, can have a bit of bias to it, said they believed it was the business's own responsibility to guarantee the safety of its data. And a Huddle study discovered that Gen Y were the worst offenders for stashing corporate documents in personal cloud services. Um, while 16% of office workers use Dropbox to store work documents, that, that rose to 31% for Gen Y. They're also deemed to be the worst culprits for taking business data away with them on personal devices. Almost half said they kept work documents on personal laptops, with 23% storing work files on their personal smartphones. Now this won't apply so much obviously to people that work in national security areas because you don't have the ability to move data in and out of a workplace like this. But it is maybe more relevant to uh, private enterprise. Anyway, this combination of irresponsibility and ignorance can present serious problems for those responsible for security. Uh, turning now to Gen Z and security, um, they've been used to bringing their own computing devices, including wearables and their own apps into an enterprise. Um, this isn't a new thing in a private sector because you know, bringing your own device is a fairly mature trend. Uh, doesn't exist so much in the public service. But the difference is that Generation Z don't just bring one device, they bring a lot of apps as well, and they want to use them while they're working because they find that's an easier and more efficient way to do their work. Um, and they've lived in an instantaneous society. They expect to be able to jump between the smartphones, uh, tablets, uh, use apps uh, readily, and uh, they've always communicated and brought their ways into the corporate environment. So for security professionals, Generation Z are a potential insider headache uh, because they tend to share everything. Their location, the details of their lunch, their snap pictures of their friends, and they press upload without a second thought. Now again, this may not apply to Australia. This may be simply Americans and Brits that do this. Um, they might be the most digitally savvy generation, but they're also the least security minded. Um, but they are equipped to work anywhere. And, uh, and they've got a, a great deal of agility and uh, most mentally and uh, with their devices. And uh, uh, sometimes that means that they do connect through insecure systems like at airports or public places and that sort of thing uh, where you, know, you can be hacked more readily. Um, anyway, I'm gonna talk now a bit about terrorism cyber skill sets and um, of course, while all terrorist organisations have websites, Al-Qaeda was probably the first one to fully uh, exploit the internet. And uh, they launched their first website in 2001. And they'd always regarded themselves as a global movement, and so therefore, of course, they had the need to communicate and put their messages out and to interact with people around the world. So they were very much conscious of uh, 
the value of the internet from an early, from a very early on. Uh, and the leaders um, also uh, knew that it was an important feature, so they were very early on making videos of speeches and that sort of stuff. Um, even though it did put them at some risk because of obviously NSA's capabilities and so on, um, they were still communicating quite a lot. Now sometimes of course you can't decrypt what they're communicating, but just the traffic will give you nodes and where people are and that sort of stuff. Um, and of course if people are operating on social networking sites they're pretty insecure and they can also be accessed fairly readily even if they are ones that are you know, not normally very easy to get to like in uh, uh, the deep net for example. Anyway in 2007 and 2008 we saw the rise of security software built to conceal identities and avoid detection online because they were getting concerned about this issue and so they came up with a whole lot of different uh, encryption platforms and uh, these were then publicised in the Inspire magazine which is Al-Qaeda's online magazine and uh, then it made it a lot more difficult for, for accessing this kind of material and then they came up with Mujahideen Secrets too. Now any encryption can be decrypted if you have enough time and enough effort at it but if it's something that relates to maybe an operation that's going to take place in two weeks time it might take three to four weeks to decrypt it, so of course it's no use to you. So you have to make a judgment about what's valuable and what's not. Anyway, Edward Snowden, I think, certainly helped um, uh, terrorists quite a lot because he revealed a lot of information about uh, what capabilities um, uh, people had, uh, particularly NSA. And um, uh, so, uh, Al-Qaeda then released a new instant messaging software which was more secure and uh, that was, uh, most of their software that is um, released goes through what is called the Global Islamic Media Front which does an evaluation on it and tests the, uh, the security of it and so on. So uh, anything that's released by Al-Qaeda at least has gone through that sort of process and here you can see you know one of the um, uh, the first Islamic program for encrypted instant messaging that's uh, been released. Uh, they also developed a mobile encryption program for use with mobile phones because that was another concern. As you know, the Bin Laden's location was eventually determined through mobile phone usage, but um, um, they're very conscious of uh, one-time use and that sort of thing nowadays. Uh, December 2013, the Al-Far Media Center of Al-Qaeda uh, started to distribute new software called Security of the Mujahid, which was an even more advanced form of encryption technology. And of course, there, some of the apps uh, that I mentioned previously, like Telegram and Wicca, offer end-to-end -end encryption and Telegram offers self-destruction. Um, and uh, John Miller, who was um, uh, with ABC, American ABC, uh, he's now with the NYPD. Uh, he said that um, when he goes to his computer specialist with encrypted messages, they say not only can't we uh, can't we uh, get into it, but we can't uh, we can't do anything with it, pretty much. But um, I, I spoke to John Miller at one stage because he goes to some of the conferences that I go to. And it was sort of interesting because um, 
the, the Al-Qaeda wanted to do a, an interview, Bin Laden, with um, ABC, and so they weren't knowledgeable enough to know that there was an Australian ABC and an American ABC. So they offered to do a, a live interview with Bin Laden to the Australian ABC for $100,000. And the ABC sort of said huffily that they don't pay for interviews. And so it was given to American ABC and John Miller actually went and did the interview. So it's sort of interesting that he's in the police force, uh, now a deputy commissioner, but actually interviewed Bin Laden. So when he was at the LAPD, they wouldn't give him a clearance. So all his staff had clearances to access TS material, and he, he didn't have the access. So I don't know how he's managing it at the NYPD, but presumably he's now got access um, because he traveled such a lot that he couldn't get a clearance. Anyway, looking at Al-Qaeda's next generation, because um, at some point, Dr. Zawahiri is going to have to move on. Uh, born in 1951, and the likely successors are Saif al-Adil, who was a special forces officer in Egypt, who was a generation Xer, and if you look further down the line, there's Hamza, who is bin Laden's son, or one of his sons, and he's a generation Y. So, you know, with the generational change, they'll come sort of, I guess, IT changes too. Looking at Islamic State, um, they are much more sophisticated even than Al-Qaeda, uh, in terms of their use of propaganda. Um, they, I think, originally learned their tra tradecraft and their marketing from Anwar Orlaki, who was the, um, the guy in, who was an American citizen, who was in Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, who was the one who did a lot of their um, development of, uh, of IT messaging. But, um, uh, and they then produced Darbik magazine, which the latest one just came out a few days ago. Anyway, they, they quickly eclipsed their mentor. They've got a whole range of narratives, images, and so on. And um, they've learned how to uh, play cat and mouse with uh, ISPs so they can switch and so on uh, whenever um, they get closed down. So they're quite an agile organization. Um, and this was... Uh, Peter Chalk, who's uh, another friend of mine, uh, he wrote a report recently where he was talking about um, how uh, Abu Sayyaf Group in the Philippines were operating and they were distributing material via Twitter, Telegram and the deep web uh, through uh, that particular website. <coughs> so that's a regional group which is also doing quite sophisticated communicating. Um, so. Uh, Western governments have tried to monitor and censor the use of uh, these different websites, but it's often a case of playing catch-up, you know, like you might close down a video on YouTube, but then it's just going to pop up somewhere else. So most of uh, Islamic State's recruitment and self-promotion in the West, including in Australia, is through one-on-one -on -one messaging. And uh, um, it's a multi-skilled and networked organisation and a lot of its members are from Generation Z. They've sort of gone for the younger demographic. Um, but um, and this is an example. You've got Jake Bellardi, who was, came from Melbourne, um, born in 1996, went to Syria. Um, Halid Sharif is Generation Y. Um, the leader of the group, al-Baghdadi, is Generation X. But they've also got now cubs who are Generation Alpha that they're cultivating. So. Although I think people are starting to say, well, Islamic State's all on the way out, I think they've still got a long way to go before they're actually uh, disappearing. <coughs> uh, 
And this was a comment in the Telegraph. And I thought the interesting thing about it really was the, the, the last um, paragraph there, where, where it was saying that there's a doubling of the number of women and youngsters aged under 18 being arrested. So a lot more targeting of maybe um, teenagers. So what do they bring to extremism? Well, obviously Gen Y have got mature IT skills for things like website construction, uh, online propaganda, and Gen Z have got good one-on-one -on -one skills, which makes them effective recruiters and communicators. Um, Gen Y extremists mainly interact through limited access chat and social network sites. Um, they seem to be more security conscious than, uh, I guess, the rest of their uh, generation, but maybe that's because of, you know, if you don't, if you're not, then you're likely to get a knock on the door and be going off to uh, uh, detention. But um, the main challenge, I think, for uh, Western SIGINT is simply the sheer volume of interactions and the number of interaction forums nowadays. And I was re reading the other day that there were something like 50 million Arabic users of Facebook, for example. So that's an extremely difficult task, if you, unless you've got very intelligent computing. Um, Gen Y are the activist element in many extremist groups, and above them, of course, you've got the Generation Xs, but uh, they're capable of producing really high-quality publications like, uh, like Dabiq, and uh, I've never found a typo in Dabiq. It's an amazingly good, uh, well-edited magazine. Um, Generation Y also have had the skill sets to be doing uh, intercepting unmanned aerial vehicle data links like the Predator, for example, hacking into government websites, and of course uh, they were the ones that were producing the beheading videos. Generation Z is more likely to be involved in one-on-one -on -one discussions using Skype or instant messaging, uh, maybe WhatsApp and Viber and so on. Um, and of course it's difficult to tell the age of somebody on the internet. Um, some IS encouragement to go to Syria or mount attacks has been by young people posing as older people. So they say they're 25 or whatever, and they're actually a lot younger. Um, one example of that was this um, young person in England who's since been convicted as a 15-year-old, but um, he was grooming uh, Sevdit Besim in Melbourne to conduct an attack in uh, Melbourne on Anzac Day, but he was an only, only a 14-year-old, but he was able to pass himself off as a, an older, older person. And of course, uh, Farhad Jabbar, who shot um, uh, uh, Curtis Chang at Parramatta, was only 15, and uh, he was cultivated by Generation Y and Z people uh, who first of all contacted him at the mosque and then went online with him. And this case uh, just recently, in the uh, 22nd of March, is a 16-year-old girl and a 20-year-old man, so they're still both Generation Z, um, who have now been arrested for uh, passing money to uh, Islamic State. Uh, Generation Z have often been selected to be suicide bombers because they're less likely to question their selection uh, by Generation Y or to try and back out um, Jake Bellardi, who I mentioned before, was selected to be a suicide bomber after he flunked out of the Islamic State military training in Syria. Um, when you go through the training program, you're either uh, employed as infantry 
or uh, as uh, guarding or as a bodyguard or um, uh, as a suicide bomber. So the ones that don't do it all well end up being the suicide bombers because so, they can't use them as infantry. Uh, they can't use them for the other things so well, so they end up being the suicide bombers. Um, he wasn't the first Australian suicide bomber, but he was the youngest. Um, this is a case of a, a hacker. Um, his uh, handle was uh, uh, Team Poison, uh, but um, he talked about um, not needing to go to a training camp anymore for people that can't travel. And of course, a lot of people that want to go to Syria can't go now because they've lost their passports or had their travel suspended. Um, but uh, he was teaching people what to do and how to do it online so that they could then mount attacks in a domestic context. Um, according to the Home Office, these are some of the preferred platforms being used by Generation Y and Z in the UK. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, obviously, YouTube, Ask.fm, uh, Instagram, Tumblr. Of course, there's so many apps, uh, private messaging of various different kinds. Um, looking at the law enforcement issues, um, firstly, in terms of employment, um, I get Police Chief Magazine, and uh, in Police Chief Magazine, they were talking there about the, uh, the skill sets of um, Generation Y in particular, because uh, in the future, Generation Y obviously will be the majority of the police force. So, and then I guess, you know, in due course, Generation Z will be. But um, what they're talking about is how law enforcement can, I suppose, groom them uh, to be effective police officers and uh, make use of their skill sets. Um, I went to a, a presentation recently by New Zealand Police and they have given all of their uh, officers iPhones now and with the apps that they need and so they don't need to take, uh, you know, they don't have to go back to the station as much as they used to because um, one of the, the bugbears of have, being in the police force and being on uh, patrol duty was having to go back every so often and write up your reports. Now you can just do it on an iPhone because they've got the apps that will do that for them, uh, including domestics, because most of the, I suppose, police activity when you're out on patrol is either going to be traffic offences or domestics. And uh, they've now got an app for domestic disturbances that they can file a report fairly quickly for them, normally be followed up by social services. But that's sort of put more, put them more on the beat, so to speak, and uh, not having to do as much uh, admin. But that's taking advantage of the skill sets of, you know, the officers that are younger. Uh, looking at the other side of things, of course, um, Generation Y also very good at crime, and um, I think often have a romantic notion of crime, because if you're siphoning money out of a bank, and you might remember that the Bangladesh Bank lost multi-million dollars recently. Um, I know with the UN they've lost money out of some of their accounts. Uh, most of that activity comes out of Eastern Europe, but um, uh, certainly the uh, skill sets that people have can be to put to that use. Uh, if you're a good hacker, um, it can be to your advantage to use different jurisdictions and access uh, websites where you can move things electronically. Of course, as we get more and more dependent on uh, no-cash economies or no-cash living styles, 
that makes us even more vulnerable and creates more, more opportunities for criminals. I went to a, a banking presentation a little while ago and uh, the banks internationally had lost something like a billion dollars in that particular year. But they said that the crooks in Eastern Europe were going to devote something like $200 million to developing new software to counter the new software the banks were bringing in. So it's a sort of, you know, it's a, one of those sort of reactionary processes. It's still a good return, though. Um, Generation Y, interestingly, are more likely to be problem gamblers, according to the ABC. Um, and Australian gambling research centre manager Anna Thomas said young men were a growing gambling market. At least half of all sports betting happens online now, and that's possible because you can carry uh, the apps around with you and so on. And I was listening to an interview with a sp uh, uh, football player the other day, and he was talking about some of the problems that players had because they were so accustomed to putting bets on at any time of the day or night. Um, so, of course, uh, one of the concerns uh, has been um, greyhound racing, but even so, um, it doesn't seem to have deterred uh, Generation Y from betting on the dogs. Um, anyway, given that uh, the oldest Gen Z are 21, I don't think they've had any impact yet on law enforcement or crime. Um, but apparently, statistically, and you'll be pleased to know this, no doubt, uh, they're less likely to get drunk, fall pregnant or commit a crime than any previous generation at the same age. Um, I think a problem group, though, a uh, problem for themselves, is those who have come from backgrounds where they haven't had access to computing, they haven't maybe had iPhones, um, they haven't uh, developed the skills that they need now for the modern workplace, and that to some extent will make them unemployable in many areas, and of course makes them socially outcast as well to some extent. Um, when it comes to going to court, um, Gen Z are often categorised as young offenders, and uh, depending on the age of criminal responsibility, Generally speaking, uh, youth offenders in the age group 10 to 18 um, have, have, and, uh, have been convicted, they usually just get cautioned. Uh, criminal justice systems usually deal with young offenders differently from adult offenders. I went to a seminar on grooming the other day, not to learn how to groom myself, but to, uh, it was, this was on sexual grooming, and again, not to do sexual grooming myself either, but it was saying there that um, the police, um, you're committing an offence if you groom somebody under 16 and you're over 18. Uh, but in fact, the police don't apply the law that, that, to that extent. They, they will only convict people who are over 21. And generally speaking, they're looking at uh, girls under 13. They're more likely to get a, a conviction there, which I hadn't realised was, uh, was the case. Um, you know, most... Most grooming, sexual grooming, is, is older males, younger females, but of course there are exceptions to that as well. Anyway, Gen Z um, usually attract light sentence in the court system because they're seen as a rehabilitation pro, uh, prospect. Uh, just my conclusions now, you'll be glad to know, and I'll finish up. Um, so obviously there's a lack of security consciousness on the part of some Gen Y and Gen Z, although obviously if you work in the national security community then you've had that drummed into you, what you can do and what you can't do, that you have to leave all your devices at the door before you, take, you, know, before you go into work. Um, 
But of course, um, one of the things that uh, people haven't maybe thought about when they go for work in a uh, high security job is what they've disclosed previously on Facebook to other people and so on. And if they've been um, indiscreet and, uh, and clearly can't keep a secret, that might affect their future employability. Um, and employers, I think, in the private sector now are increasingly looking at what people have put on social networking sites to get a better idea of whether somebody's gregarious, and whether, you know, whether they're likely to be easily misled by others, and so on and so forth. Um, anyway, Generation Y and Z electronic interactions are more of a privacy issue than a security concern, I think, in government, because, as I mentioned, BYOD is not an option uh, in security employments. Um, Indiscreet chat is more of a problem for private sector because there it's more likely that original research might be compromised or negotiating positions would be uh, compromised as well. You know, obviously, if you're going to engage in international negotiations about the price of coal or whatever, uh, you're going to put a lot of effort into trying to find out what the other person's uh, uh, negotiating position is so that you can get the best deal possible, and both sides will be trying to do that. Um, obviously, Gen Y are the rank and file in Al Qaeda, um, but they're also the dominant cohort in Islamic State, and Generation Z tend to be in awe of them and easily led. Most communication between young extremists is electronic, but it remains a hard signet target due to the platforms being used, the sheer volume of traffic, and the number of encrypted communication options available. We hope you enjoyed this talk. Did it inspire or even provoke you? Let us know via Twitter at ANU underscore events. If you're interested in learning more about the research and ideas that come out of ANU, then why not consider a free subscription to ANU Reporter magazine? ANU Reporter tells the stories of the greatest minds in Australia, brightest students and finest alumni. Visit news.anu.edu.au forward slash publications and click on the ANU Reporter magazine link to find out more.